This episode of the A-Game Podcast is brought to you by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you need funding for your real estate deals, whether they are residential, commercial, lines of credit, refinance, if you are looking for fix and flip loans, if you're looking for perm loans, any type of financing you're looking for, regardless if you have a lot of experience, if you're new, if you have credit issues, down payment issues, if you need somebody creative to be on your side and to get your deals or your buyer's deals funded, go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links. You will see an affiliate link. Under the affiliates, you can see Get My Real Estate Deals Funded, and if you click on that, it will take you right to a page that will get Marianne from Nationwide Business Capital Group in touch with you. Tell her the A-Game podcast sent you over, and she will take care of you as a top priority. So no matter what the situation is, while everybody else is running away from lending, Nationwide Business Capital Group is getting deals done. NickNickNick.com slash links. Tell them the A-Game podcast sent you, and link up with Marianne today to get all of your real estate deals funded. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A Game Podcast is the one and only Austin Hartley, hailing out of Colorado. Austin is the podcast host of the Passion for Us podcast. He is a real estate investor, real estate broker. He is a former college athlete, and he is a self-proclaimed Marvel and Star Wars nerd as well. So <laughs> got a lot of stuff to talk about, man. Thanks for doing this. Welcome to the A Game Podcast. How are you doing today? Absolute pleasure to be on, man. Thank you so much. I'm doing fantastic today. Uh, looking forward to my Monday and super happy to be here. Nice, man. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, you had me on yours. I really appreciated that. Um, and I've just been following you ever since. And uh, I just wanted to dig in and touch base on a whole bunch of different stuff. I know you are uh, you specialize in branding and marketing and a whole bunch of stuff that I definitely could use some insight on. And I see that you're doing awesome on all the social media platforms. But um, you know, before we dig into that, I always like to hear a little bit about how did you get into real estate? Well, if you started as an agent, started as a and what really made you decide that that was the direction you wanted to go to? So um, just talk about your life prior to real estate and how you found it and started going down that path. Absolutely. I'll start when I was a kid because my dad's actually a real estate broker. And I always told myself growing up that I am not going to do what my dad does. I don't want to just follow my dad's footsteps. I just said that over and over. And uh, so originally I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was young. I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and be a fighter pilot. And uh, Sadly, or maybe not so sadly, I just kept growing. And so I'm actually too big to be a fighter pilot. And uh, so I had to kind of reevaluate some things, thought about being a commercial pilot, um, decided I didn't really want that, that life for myself and ended up playing college basketball, uh, transferred to Colorado State University, and I was studying business. I knew at that time I wanted to do something business related, but I didn't know exactly what that looked like. And uh, my concentrations were finance and, uh, of course, real estate. I uh, thought, well, let's check this out. My dad started taking me to some of his broker events, and we even went to the uh, the three-day weekend real estate investing seminars and everything, kind of got hooked on the rich dad, poor dad. And it's a pretty similar, similar story that you hear from a lot of investors and started going down that road. And the more I looked at it, 
the more it made sense. Uh, more millionaires have been made from real estate than any other industry. And although there's no such thing as completely passive income, it was an asset and industry I felt like I truly could create long-term financial freedom for myself and for others. And so started going down that road, became a licensed broker uh, about four years ago and have worked in everything from land development, new construction, uh, as a wholesaler, a fix and flipper, and now as a broker myself. Uh, so that's kind of the, the short story on how I got into real estate and why. That's amazing. I love all the backstories that I hear from people. It is funny that you start to hear the same stuff. And I, I think it's just an entrepreneurial thing that you, you try a whole bunch of things and then you start to test the water on real estate. And obviously the free thing's always the first thing because most mm -hmm. of us didn't start out with any money. And you know, uh, I, that was literally the first book I ever read that, that got me interested in real estate was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that exact quote you just said was the thing that was like a punch in the face to me that 70% of all millionaires made their money through real estate and like the other 30% put it into real estate after. And I remember around to people and saying, hey, did you know that all these millionaires made their money through real estate? And everybody was telling, you know, after you say it, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I knew that. Like, how did I know this? And it just became <laughs> a, one of those things that I've did all the classes and stuff. So I love it. Now, one of the things that you brought up there, the fact that you went to one of those classes, probably multiple of those types of classes, Absolutely. you know, I've been to tons of them, probably like everybody else. I've paid for good ones, for bad ones. I've had good mentors. I've had bad mentors. But I always try and look at it as no matter what I do, if I spend three days or two days or whatever the, the seminar is, I want to get at least one or two things that I know I can take, I can implement, and that's going to help my business grow. Even if it's not monetarily, it's a time hack, something that will help me do something better or open my eyes, just something that's going to help make me more money and make me more time. And I feel like no matter what, even if the whole three days is crap, I can usually find that thing and implement it. Yep hear those people that go, oh, that stuff's all a, a, a scam. It's a joke. It's crap. And I'm like, there's literally somebody that sat next to you at one of those classes and left there and said, I went to one of those things. It was a ripoff. And then you took the same exact information and the same exact opportunity and turned it into who you are today. Why do you think that is? I forget who this quote is from. I'm going to give it to Will Smith, but he talks about the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people are successful people just keep on failing. They don't have a fear of failure. They just keep failing forward and taking massive action. And if you really look at research and studies, uh, the fear of failure is what keeps people from being successful. So what happens is they go to this seminar, they get this great information and maybe they have a pessimistic attitude, but let's say they go, they have a great time they get tons of information. They go home, they're fired up and then they don't do anything. Not taking action and analysis paralysis is the number one thing that I think defeats people that want to be entrepreneurs and business owners, at least in my opinion. And so I have struggled with that the last five years and have just continually gotten a little bit better every day, every week, every year until now I take a lot of action on anything I do. And I'm not scared of the, the rejection or the failure. It's just, you're going to learn something in that step. And I think that's the one thing that's really helped me grow as a professional. Uh, along with that is just being coachable, being humble enough to uh, look at someone else and say, they know something that I don't let me humble myself and learn from them. Just like you said, you go to any one of these events, good, bad, whatever, and you're looking for one to two things that you can take away to add value to your life. And I think that's so important. 
I love that answer. I, I think you just nailed it. That why and that dedication, I, I've always been interested in the psychology of it because although it's business and, you know, one of my friends, Jared is a successful guy, one of the more successful real estate investors that I know. Yeah. And he constantly talks about how whenever people are asking him for real estate advice, he starts going into mindset and psychology and all these things going on. And people are like, come on, man, like, just give me. And he's like, I could write you a checklist if that's what you want. But if you think that that's what it is, everybody would be a millionaire. Everybody has the checklist, Google the checklist, but why does everybody have that and they're not doing it? It's because of these things. And the successful people like yourself that I talk to weekly all put so much on that mindset and they find ways to get around it and talk to themselves. And the people that say it's a bunch of crap, I don't want to hear it. They go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and they never do anything because of that. And I, I think of myself when I was starting out and I remember not necessarily that like coaches, for instance, they pay for all these coaches and then they never call them. And people yep. were like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, because I didn't want them that the deal that I wanted to do was a bad deal. And it's so backwards. It's like, well, you paid them to protect you from making a bad deal. I know, but something inside gives you that, that weird self-sabotage. And it's almost like if I follow the system and I fail, then I have to admit something to myself that I tried my best and it wasn't good enough. And I think people don't put the effort in because they don't want to face that. And, you know, um, I know me and you were talking last time about jujitsu and MMA and stuff. And I was reading about John Jones. Do you know who John Jones is? Yep. Yeah. So John Jones, you know, arguably one of the greatest fighters ever, told somebody last year in an interview that the Wednesday before every one of his fights, he goes out totally by himself and gets blackout drunk and doesn't tell anybody. And he still pretty much has never lost a fight. There's that one questionable thing, but he said the reason he did that is so he had a crutch in the back of his head of if somebody beat him, he can go, well, yeah, it's because I didn't do my best. It's because I went out. So even like the best of the best, the Michael Jordans of MMA, or doing that type of stuff. So how do you give yourself that, that talk, talk yourself and to keep going and give yourself that pep to make sure, like you said, you're failing forward, but you're not discouraging yourself or psyching yourself out to the point that you're not doing anything or you're self-sabotaging your business. I think there's a few things that play a role in that. I think we all struggle with what I'd call imposter syndrome. You think, well, um, there's no reason I should try to do this. I, I can't do this or ah, this I don't want my coach to see this and that I'm not a good investor and I don't know what I'm doing. There's this like fear there. And I think the first thing that I try to do is just prime myself each day. So I'm in the correct state to be effective and be willing to take that action. So I take a long time in my morning routine to get ready, get prepped, work out, read, go pray. And I love my morning. So by the time I sit down at my desk, I'm in a great mood, Probably That's, probably the peak of my mood every day. And I try to do my, what I want to do least at the beginning of my day, whether that's prospecting, putting in offers, whatever that is. And so I think that helps being in the right mindset to take that on. Uh, and then I, I think surrounding yourself with the right people. So you talk about coaches. I think that is really important. And although you might've been afraid to talk to them at, at first, uh, I bet now the coaches and mentors that you have you're, you're more comfortable with those conversations and someone that's been there, done that, you can model their success. They know that exact feeling that you're going through and they can help you through that. So trying to surround myself with people that I can bounce ideas off of. And even if I mess up, they're going to sow positive energy and constructive criticism into my life, not try to break me apart. And, and I think just 
again, priming, surrounding yourself with the right people and, and doing the things that you want to do least first in your day is, is what helped me with that. You just hit something that I still struggle with all the time that I, I try and really make sure I, and I, I've heard the term uh, swallowing the frog is what some people say. My other friend calls it slaying dragons. He said, you know what? I wake up every day and the first thing I look at is what's the fire breathing dragon in my day? And whatever that is, I have to slay that first because if I don't, by lunch, there might be two. And by dinner, there might be three. And that's when you just put the covers over your head and you go back to bed. So for you, how did you come up with that? Because the morning routine there, I think is very powerful. And I, I, you might not have the same experience as me, but I have found the things that are my fire breathing dragons or my frogs or the things that I'm most dreading for the day, when I actually do them, they were nowhere near as big and scary and crazy and as in-depth as they thought they were, you know, and you're almost happy. And I, I have to constantly, even today, tell myself that lesson every day, but I'm always, it's like a roller coaster. You're scared when you're going up. And then once you get on and you go off, you're like, oh, I want to do that again. What was I even so scared of? And yep. it just literally gives you so much more energy throughout the day to go and just kick the day's butt. So um, talk a little bit about that. Cause I, I think that that's a huge, huge thing that most people don't do. And that's what causes their business to start to get backlogged. Yeah. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm perfect and crush it every day or just from the start was gifted in this. It's been years of trying to get better at my discipline and uh, my craft, my mindset and everything. I think everyone's on that journey. But for me, it's even resources like books, like Jocko Willock's book, Extreme Ownership, talks a lot about this. It's just head on. He, he doesn't want to get up at four, whatever he gets up at. Typically, I get up at five to six a.m. And yeah, I don't want to get up that early every morning, but you just create a routine. Once you get past that first 15 minutes, it, it's amazing. And you never, ever regret it. And you're happy afterwards where if I sleep in on a day and I sleep in till 7, 8 a.m., it throws off my whole day. I'm upset. I, 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 your self-image goes down the toilet. So I think Tony Robbins talks about changing your viewpoint on things like when I'm watching Netflix or sitting on the couch, just eating Cheetos or whatever, during and after, I really don't feel better about myself, about life. I'm really not that, that happy. Uh, where if I go and just crank out some goals, do some reading, do some prospecting, some marketing, whatever that activity is that's actually moving the ball forward, afterwards, I feel like I'm on fire. I'm proud of myself. My self-image is, is moving up. And I think being able to forgive yourself of the failures and the mess ups and just getting right back on the horse every day, you're going to mess up. We're humans. We're all humans. None of us are perfect, but just saying tomorrow, I'm just going to be 1% better and humbling yourself that you're not where you want to be and that's okay, but just work to get better. And those, those are the few things that I try to do that has helped me become better. Also utilizing tools. Like for me, just a little quick story was the hardest thing for me just to get up early in the morning. The simplest thing, right? Just getting out of bed. I would struggle with it so much until I have, no joke, I have like three alarms. I have a, a alarm that turns on a light that slowly gets brighter in the morning. I have some speakers that go off and play music plus alarm in my bed. I don't sleep with my phone. You just find not only the tools, but the habits and the the scenarios, the environment to make it, make you able to accomplish your goals. So if you find yourself watching TV every night and staying up late, 
and then sleeping in, maybe you should take the TV out of your room. Maybe you should plug your, your phone in outside your bedroom so you're not scrolling through Facebook. Start with little things like that. And those things over time are going to make a huge difference. I know that was a little bit long-winded, but. No, that, that's great. I could listen, talk about that stuff all day because to me, starting your day off right sets the tone and especially start like yesterday I got up early and I just, I cleaned everything. Mm -hmm. And then this morning when I walk up, you just, you know, you're, you have a nice clean place. All those things are done and I crush the morning and then you crush the afternoon. And when you start off on a good Monday, your week just starts kicking off. So, you know, I think that those things are more important than the technical parts of the real estate, because if you don't do those things and have those small victories and set those you're never going to get so all the calls that are coming in and what I've found what I'm finding today is when I have a great morning and I hit my routine and, and I have those battles okay I got out of bed I worked out I did these things when I start having issues which we're definitely going to jump into on the real estate stuff because every day there's something that the sky is falling or somebody needs something or this deal's falling apart I'm not like freaking out and screaming at people I'm just kind of relaxed and clear-headed and I'm okay this sucks but we're going to find a way to solve I'm able to handle those fires a lot more professional, which I think helps everybody. And I'm finding uh, there, there's no accident that when I'm in a better place, my problems and everybody around me seem to handle them better when I handle them better. And I feel like that's part of being a leader and an entrepreneur. So did you learn any of those things and those tricks from your dad? Because I know you were saying he was a real estate broker initially. I don't know if that was his main passion or just something that was more of a side hustle. But did he? who, who gave you all of these habits and instilled all these good practices into you? I think family values and mentors definitely played a role for me. My dad was an athlete growing up as well. And something, two things that were huge that I really felt like have helped me be successful were, were one, he always talked about self-talk and your words have massive meaning. And so if I was like, oh, I suck, like playing basketball when I was growing up, he would stop me right then and there and say, no, you missed a shot. You don't suck. You're talented, you're great. You, you focus on the positives because what you say is a prophecy. It's an affirmation over yourself and you start to believe it. Your brain literally doesn't know the difference between your affirmations, visualizations, and reality. And the second thing was visualization. So really visualizing myself being successful, winning a basketball game, whatever it was. And if you talk to top producers and sales, top athletes, they use visualization in their routines uh, to just practice. I think there's even a book that I'm reading called Psycho-Cybernetics, and it talks about what you just mentioned, that when you're relaxed, confident, and you handle your problems head-on in that manner, things seem to go more smoothly. And that's scientifically proven. They, they talked, these are kind of two separate subjects that I'm kind of molding together, but they talk about a study where they had people shoot free throws, and then they took a week break, and they shot free throws again. Another group didn't shoot any free throws at all and then just shot free throws at the end of the week. And then there's a third group that just visualized shooting free throws. <laughs> and the, the first group improved by 24%. The middle group obviously didn't improve at all. And the third group just visualizing improves 23%. So 1% off from actually doing the activity. So if you can make a habit of something like that, it can make a huge difference. And it also gives you confidence. It puts you in a prime state where you are relaxed. I think in our modern day society, one of the biggest things holding people 
back from financial freedom or just living the life that they want is just living in a state of anxiety and fear and stress that, oh, I have to do this, 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 this that, 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 that has to be perfect. If you can just breathe, let go, put yourself in a good state and just give the results to God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, it's proven that you're more effective, more productive that way. Science. You can't argue with science. Yeah. And some of it sounds crazy, uh, but it's, it's, it's proven. No, I, I love that stuff. I could talk about that stuff all day. You, you did touch on the athletics. I, I love, it's, it's obviously a big passion of mine is jujitsu and boxing and MMA. And I played other sports when I was growing up, but I love talking to athletes. You know, a lot of my friends that are, are MMA guys and UFC fighters are getting into real estate. I've had them on here, but I love it because and my favorite quote is how you do anything is how you do everything. So how you do little stuff is how you do the big stuff. So the same way that we look at it, like you said, you fail forward, you have your tough days, you get in your routines, that discipline and that accountability and that self-talk to be a black belt or an MMA fighter, all those things. I don't care what you want to be successful in. You have those same obstacles, but I found that military and athletics mm -hmm. tend to really cross over into our business as real estate yep. better than all the others that, that I've seen. So how has your background in athletics, what, what sports did you play and what type of lessons or foundations or habits did you develop through sports that you have carried over into your entrepreneurship? Great question. And I have to agree with you. I've seen a lot of those similarities in military and elite athletes. Uh, for me, I played football, track, and basketball, but really just football and track were socialization for fun. My main thing was, was definitely basketball. That, that was my sport, absolutely loved it. Still played now, it's just a little, little tougher, a little older, I'm the old man on the court now. <laughs> just crazy, um, but still love playing. But the, the lessons you learn in athletics, even at a young level of how to fail losing with grace, and learn from that is something that I don't think a lot of kids get the experience of. I don't think sports are as popular today as they used to be. And I, I can tell just interacting with people if they grew up playing sports a lot of times, as well as keeping a positive attitude. You, you play teams and maybe you're down by 10 points, 20 points in basketball. It's a pretty big margin, but as long as you keep the faith and your team has faith that you can come back, you, you he can achieve some pretty incredible things. And so you go through self-development and being disciplined in practice, going through difficult challenges of cardio, losing with grace, and also working as a team. I think one thing that I've learned, especially the last two years, is real estate and business is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. You get these solo entrepreneurs trying to do everything in their business and it just ends up holding them back where if you can let go and let the shooter shoot and the rebounder rebound, the guy playing defense play defense, uh, it's much more successful. Just like real estate, let the acquisition sales guy do his thing, let, let the underwriter do his thing and just find partners that balance you out and are actually gonna help you be successful. So. I guess kind of, again, long-winded, but teamwork, just discipline, doing the small things like you mentioned, uh, and then changing my mindset towards failure. I think too many people have a fear of failure and working in sales and being an athlete, you just, I don't have that at all. So I think the perspective shift 
too is as cliche as it sounds learning from those losses and finding other ways to 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 find again like my one thing that i can get out of those crappy three days turns it into a win but even today i, I got an offer rejected on a property in new york and i i was dealing directly with the owner he listed it with um with somebody else but i know he owned the property free and clear mm-hmm. and he got a great offer and i talked to the agent after he gave me her number and when we talked they were like look the offer that gave you would never be able to make any money on the property the way you're trying to do it with that price. So he sent me a message, which was nice. And he was like, Hey, you know, as you saw, I got a really great offer. Sorry. It didn't work out, but if you can match it. So I was like, no, man, I'm really happy for you. It looks like you're going to make a bunch of money on that property. What are you going to do with it? And then it was like, well, I don't know. Well, you might want to think about investing in real estate. Let's have a talk. So it was like, yeah, maybe I lost out on this deal that I was going to wholesale, but that could potentially now turn into a guy who's got 400 grand to throw into another deal as a lender, which is going to make me more than that wholesale deal ever was going to be. Mm-hmm. And if he says no, he says no. But again, it's like I could sit there and be bummed out that I got an offer rejected today and I thought I was going to make money on it. Or you can look at what's the opportunities there. And it's just, it's like you said, a mindset, however you shape your mind. And that, that background in athletics, I think is, is really, really important. Like the, the thing I said to my partner the other day, I was reading, I, I, I did start reading Jocko Willink's book. I forget whose book I was listening to. But they were talking about athletics and they were talking about people that, you know, your job is to like close deals or get things done. And I said to my partner, hey, what are athletes played to do? Like what, what are Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl, I just gave you, <laughs> what are NFL players uh, paid to do? And she was like, play football. Said, no, win championships. Like that's really yeah. what they're, they're supposed to be doing. And that's what I look about it. So yeah, you lose a couple of games over the course of the year. But at the end of the year, if you win the Super Bowl, or you win the World Series, what are people going to remember? Oh, that's, you know, that's so. a great example. And I actually had a guest on Bill Allen. If you haven't had him on, you should have him on. He's a military I guy. Him. I love him. He's just such a wealth of information and knowledge, especially his advice. We got into building processes and hiring and just very detailed, but he talks specifically about what you're talking about. The ability to self-reflect on your failures. It's not necessarily failure. It's the ability to self-reflect reflect on your failures is what leads to growth and change and eventually success. And so I think that's really important. He's another military guy. And then changing your mindset. A lot of people have this idea, like people ask me, how do you get all these successful people on your podcast? Or how do you just post stuff all the time or uh, make tons of cold calls investing or as a broker? And it's, it's not that I'm afraid of the no. I have people tell me to F off and screw you all the time. But you just think, I don't know this person. This person's probably never going to see me again. Like it, it doesn't affect me. It's one little mean message that I don't take personally at all. Where if you can get one yes out of a hundred messages or one great guest who's willing to just feed into your life or whatever that is, think about what that yes is going to do for your life. Is that a $15,000 check? Is that a $30,000 check? Or is that a, a connection like you and I now have of just awesome people in your sphere that are connecting you to other awesome people in your sphere that is your passion leading to you having a successful life as a investor, as whatever that is, is that risk reward worth it to you? Right. And to me, it's always a yes, right? Easy answer. Agree. Yeah. I had Bill on a couple of weeks ago, I think great guy, but I, I hundred percent, you just nailed it. And the mindset for, for real estate, you especially, I'm very interested in because I've, from me working on stuff, I could be wrong, but I found Colorado to be one of the most competitive markets out there. 
And I know the old saying is in New York, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But I felt Colorado to be one of those markets that people get a lot of rejection. And then you found a way, even in that competitive market, to build a very successful real estate business. So I want to hear a little bit about, are you in other markets? And what's your opinion on the Colorado market? And how are you able to find deals in a market where everybody else is constantly telling me there's no deals, there's no deals, there's no deals? So first, there's always deals in any market. It depends on your investment strategy, right? Um, yes, Colorado, Denver Metro specifically is a very competitive and expensive market. So if you're a beginning investor, even if you're not a beginning investor, and if you're looking for maybe a, like a cash flow rental strategy, I probably wouldn't recommend that traditional strategy in Denver, Colorado. I have invested in other markets like the Dallas area um, and smaller uh secondary markets throughout Colorado. Uh, but I, I think you can make money here. It's high appreciation. And specifically, if you know the markets, I'm also a real estate broker, obviously. Uh, if you know the specific markets, there's a lot of value add projects, a lot of great flips out there still. And something that I've done and seen successful is kind of taking a twist to the house hack and basically targeting student housing. So uh, oftentimes students will come together, go to university and everyone just rents out a room, right? So I use that strategy here and rent out rooms individually where you can charge a much higher rent to an individual than you would say for the whole unit. Um, and that's one workaround. I've had friends here that use Airbnb and using the Airbnb strategy, the short-term rental strategy, are able to have high producing, high cash flow properties where the strategy makes sense. And so I think it's just, Finding strategies that still work even in your market, though I would say Denver, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of investors. Uh, so there's probably more opportunities in different strategies in other markets, but I, I still think I like to invest in my backyard. I love the, I guess like the metrics, like the employment, the, the, the living standard here. It's just such a desirable place to live. We'll see as far as politics goes, if it will stay <laughs> that way. But uh, I, I'm optimistic and specifically where I'm at, which is close to the Denver International Airport. Uh, there's a lot of undeveloped land that has a Denver zip code with, with a lot of commercial projects. Um, do you know the Gaylord Resorts? Absolutely. Yeah, I've stayed there before. Yep. So Denver now has a Gaylord, massive resort. There's tons of other complexes like that being built. And so a lot of class A, really unique real estate coming out here. And so if someone is interested in the Denver market, I would recommend the Northeast area around the airport as an area that will see quite a bit of appreciation, good area for value add projects over the next 10, 20 years. That's awesome. I place the I was going in and out of Denver a lot and I didn't know what that place was. And I was there. Shout out to my friend, Carlos Choto. Anyone looking for properties in San Antonio, hit up the Choto group, Carlos Choto. But we were there um, working a, a real estate. Um, it was like a mastermind type of thing. I forget what we were there for exactly. But the that opened up when we were staying there. And my other friend, June, lived there. And she was like, I thought they were building like a government building here. It was so huge and crazy and elaborate. I didn't know it was going to be a hotel. What an amazing place. It's, it's like uh, awesome. It's like a Las Vegas casino, but Colorado themed out here. Just massive, massive building, huge convention center, really cool bars. They have like a river going through their their main entrance. Uh, really, really cool place. Denver as a whole, if people haven't been there, what a great city! It's Such unbelievable. 
Cherry cool. Creek, we stayed out there. Great restaurants, amazing people. All of like the t- true food kitchen, like the healthy stuff. I mean, I, I love there. I'm always big on there, but I wasn't going to bring it up. But mm. since you brought up that you live close to the international airport there, it, it definitely, the car return there always throws me off because there's just nothing for miles and miles before the airport. So I know what you're talking about, yep. but that horse freaks me out every single time I'm there. What is the story with the Denver Hell Horse? I think its name is actually Blucifer, but Blucifer, somebody Google yeah. it if you're listening to this and look at the, the thing is freaking terrifying. DIA as, as an airport is terrifying. The conspiracy theories around DIA and that horse are crazy. So the, the story that I've heard is the, uh, the sculpture artist who created Lucifer was actually crushed and killed by Lucifer as he was creating the, the horse. And so it's a cursed horse. And then DIA has all these theories that the Illuminati and first world order and whoever else has underground bunkers and gas chambers. And that that's where the Illuminati or whoever's going to go when the world ends. And it's, it's pretty interesting, but from a, a non-conspiracy uh, theorist standpoint, the city planning in Denver, moving the airport way out there, I think was a very intelligent decision. Even though people, when they fly in, they're like, we're in the middle of nowhere. I thought I was coming to Denver and you have to drive freaking 30 minutes to get to downtown yeah. uh, from the airport. But strategically, I think it was an intelligent move to, to move out the airport there. Cool. Yeah. Great, great city. I love it out there. So now what's the main focus? your business right now i know you said you develop your wholesale you do all different things are you still doing all of those different exit strategies and um i'll i'll follow that up with another question but first what's your what's your main business model right now yeah so my main business model right now is kind of combining my active investing and my brokerage and utilizing uh, a strategy where i have some great friends that have worked in commercial construction and know exactly how to incentivize subs and contractors to deliver great performance in a timely manner. They know the costs, everything. And so we're gonna partner with people looking for residents as well as investors, and we're gonna shop houses. And not only are we going to be a brokerage, we're also going to be able to do kind of like a flip. So find a house that needs some, some fix-ups and utilize different loan programs as well as cash to flip those houses as we, we find them uh, for our clients as well as sell houses. So we'll, we'll flip your house, um, basically sell it at top dollar, stage it so it sells quickly for the most amount of money as possible and combining those two strategies. So that's one of the things I'm really working on as well as moving into the commercial sphere uh, as an investor. So partnering with different uh, sponsors, uh, looking at markets like Omaha, uh, Ohio, even Arkansas. I have a number of friends that are doing commercial investing there. So starting to build relationships uh, as a social syndicator. Awesome. So you're, you're talking multi-units right now? Yep. Multi-family. Yep. Apartments. Okay. That's awesome. That's great stuff. It's a, it's a whole different Every strategy's got a whole different thing, man. I, I love that there's so many different things, but how did you how do you figure out what you want to focus on? Because that's been another thing as far as entrepreneurs that I've talked to is every week we want to flip and we want to rent and we want to do multi-units, want to develop, and that you know, and every day you have a different answer. And um I was listening to a bunch of people that this keeps coming up, but I just read Gary Keller's book, The One Thing. Mm-hmm. And the, I think we talked about this a little bit yeah. too, but the first page, it's catch two or chase two rabbits catch none 
And so I'm really trying to be big on like focus at the task at hand. How have you made the decisions for what you're focusing on, what you're doing, or when you're going to move in now from what you're doing in Colorado, now you're in a place, okay, I want to move on to another asset class, another strategy. What's your process behind doing that? I think you touched on that perfectly. I think focus is so darn important. Us entrepreneurs have shiny object syndrome where we chase yeah. too many things at one time. And we've all gone through that. I've definitely done that. And I've gotten to the point where I've decided I just need to focus on one thing at a time. And once I've built that up, uh, for me right now, that's the brokerage combining the flipping business into one. Once I've built that up to a point where it can run itself and it's hit my one and five-year goals, when, wherever that is, uh, if it's once it hits my, hits my metrics as far as what's on my vision board and, and my calendar and, and goals, then it's time you can move on to something else. Just like you create a business that's focused on one area, not generic. Uh, once you conquer that, then you could focus on something else, but still plan for the future. So uh, a big part of my business is my podcasts. And I had a broker one time tell me, maybe I told you this story already, uh, that I used to work for. He's probably the number one producing broker in Denver that I was wasting my time with the podcast. I should be cold calling people for, for listings. And respectfully, I disagreed because Long-term, the podcast was a big part of building my personal brand, not only as a Denver broker, but also as a real estate investor. That's going to lead to a platform that I have building relationships uh, to become a multifamily syndicator. And so I'm still taking steps towards that goal, but the majority of my focus is on my my one thing, and that's the brokerage. And so I don't know if that quite answers your, your question, but yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you, you also touched on something where, again, the same way that you have to pick and choose what to focus on and how to turn it into a positive. I also look at I, when this is why I think what you're doing is, is really smart. If it's a competitive market and you're calling these people and they're saying, I don't want to sell you my house. F you, I'm not going to give for 50 cents of what it's worth. I want top dollar. You can say, great, I'll list it for you. And then you can get that listing. And in a super competitive market like a Denver, like we just had the same thing happen in New York. In those markets that it might be a little bit tougher to get acquisitions, you make up for that by being able to sell it with five or six or seven offers, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand over asking price in a yeah. week or a day or something like that. So it's all about making money in those hyper competitive markets for acquisitions. You can usually sell prices way above market value really fast. So I love that you're capitalizing on both of those pieces. So again, talk a little bit about your process. Who, who's on your teams? How are you farming this? And are you going through that process a little bit for getting a motivated seller on the phone and then just weighing out those options for what are different ways? Because no matter what, we can find a way to monetize this lead or this property. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I'm building a lot of this as we speak. Um, so I'll try to map out as much as I can and you just tell me where I'm, I'm missing pieces in, in this <laughs> process. But I definitely um, don't know it all either, man. You're good, <laughs> as good as mine right now. Uh, kind of my, my home base is I utilize a CRM system called Real Geeks uh, for the brokerage. And that system, you can create your own custom website you can connect different funnels into what I call workflows, basically automated text and email campaigns. And then I'm also working with a couple of different organizations to 
basically bring on a team of virtual assistants from the Philippines that will do a lot of the prospecting, calling, and inquiring for me. So as we have social media advertisements up on Google, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, but once we have a lead come in, we'll have those VAs call them, basically qualify and see if there's something there, and they'll get them scheduled either in an in-person meeting or over Zoom. Uh, where we can see if we can transfer and uh, turn that into a, a client, a listing, uh, a buyer, etc. As far as the construction side, that's my good friend uh, Addison. He's working on with a company that does huge projects, like uh, three to six hundred million dollar projects and under, but like massive projects. And so he really has the technical knowledge that I lack. That's why we're a great partnership of how to manage the trades where in general, oftentimes residential construction isn't very organized. They don't hit dates as well. Um, it's just not as efficient. So he has that background knowledge where we have a set template of basically, okay, contemporary grays and whites are in right now, right? So we have our suppliers, we're gonna use the same materials for most of our houses unless one of our clients is wanting to customize something, which again, and they'd get charged for that. But we're, we're building the systems right now. We're kind of going through the, the struggles. Have you read the book, uh, Traction? I have, it's outstanding. Yeah, so I'm utilizing some of their systems. Gary Keller's one thing is great just for, for time blocking, uh, but building a lot of the systems as I go. That's great, and that, that's what it is. You know, I've, I've found nobody really knows all the answers. You, you build your system, and as you're using it, e even if you have a great system this month, in three months, that system might hit maybe COVID, some other type of thing that you couldn't think of hit. So you have to constantly be adjusting. And, um, you know, I found that people, but I, I set this up already. I put all this time into it. Okay, so keep doing it that way and, and don't make any money. But you have yep. to be flexible and you have to move things around. So I think that that's what it is. That's what this business is, is constantly building things to have, put processes in place. Like in traction, you study the KPIs, you study the metrics, you study the data, and you're constantly adjusting based on that data. So, you know, Zoom meetings weren't even a thing that people were talking about four or five months ago. And now it's such a standard thing. You, you adjust, you move forward. And I think what you're doing is awesome. Now, um, you something you said uh, on the residential side, the construction, these guys don't really like to hit their, their, their time blocks or their, um, their deadlines or their timelines on that, which I tell people, if you're doing residential fix and flips and you have not had a problem with a contractor yet, you have not done enough real estate yet because it's a hundred percent going to happen. It's just a matter of, you know, how fast are you going to catch it? What are you going to do with it? But I have found that on the fix and flip side, a lot of the guys that are getting out and going into multi-units are going back to doing wholetails or wholesales, it's because of all of the stress that comes with trying to manage the contractors because they either can't hit the timeline that you want or they can't hit the quality you want. So they're either getting it done on time, but it doesn't look that good or it looks great, but they're three months over budget. So what, what do you, what do you do? How are you able to manage those contractors and keep them in check? Or again, I, I know you said your friend's a bit of a, an expert on that. Is that where you're dividing and conquering? And is he, how is he manning those jobs if it's his lane? Yeah. So I'll, Again, not my area of exact expertise, but I'll share as much as I know. So kind of two things, supplies and payment. Uh, so basically just understanding the incentives that the contractor has. If you pay them in the way that they structure it, oftentimes 
you've paid majority of the funds before you even get close to the project being completely finished. And so their motivation to put the finishing touches on the project are pretty low at that point because you already pay them, right? It's pretty simple. Um, so he uses basically the same approach that they use in commercial construction where a lot of their pay is backloaded. And if a contractor is not willing to work with us with that, then he's not the right contractor for us. But we're going to show them if they can do just one project with us, they're going to have a steady flow of work after that because they prove themselves as a great contractor with us. A lot of times that's, that's a great motivation. Now, Denver specifically is a very competitive market for just finding good trades. So that, that is difficult. But he also... A lot of his work is with commercial vendors. I don't know all of them, but uh, like CB, 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 PC, excuse me, PBC is a company that creates framing pieces for houses here in Denver. They're a massive commercial production company, and he's partnered with them as well as other companies to uh, basically get a discount on our supplies and also talk with the uh, trades to make sure that we're, we're getting them the, the right supplies at the right time in an orderly fashion. So those two things really help. And then I think just his construction management skills helps a tremendous amount. He knows how much things should cost. He knows how long things will take. And then he also has some backup kind of independent people that are willing to uh, kind of fill in positions to keep us on timeline if we need to. Uh, wish I could cover that in a little more detail, a little bit better, but it's just not my area of expertise. And that's why I, I need a partner for that. Fair enough. It's a great answer. And it, it leads actually perfectly into the next thing. So I know there was a few things that I, I find a lot of value in that I know you happen to be very good at. And one of them is delegation and systemization. So I know you talk a lot about being able to get your time back. And the way you do that is by exactly like you just said. People, I think, go, well, I have to know how to do appraisals and home inspections and construction and the broker side and cold calling and podio and CRM and all these different things. And you can, but again, you're going to spend your whole day doing non-revenue generating activities. So what, exactly like you just said of, hey, that's not my strong suit. That's not my thing. I'm doing my podcasts. I'm working on the broker side. I'm reaching out to other contacts to start to my, my multi-unit thing. I'd love to hear more about that side of your business and what you do and how you help people do that and how you've allowed yourself to have more time by delegating and systemizing. A few shout outs of people I think do an even better job of doing this than me would be again, Bill Allen and Neil Bawa, B-A-W-A talks a lot about how to hire on VAs, the specific uh, interview process, and then how to structure uh, a business position, the proceeds, the, the checks and balances to make sure that they perform what they need to and uh, are really effective at what they do. Uh, but I think really the goal of being an entrepreneur isn't necessarily to have a lot of money. Um, it's to have freedom because a lot of money can offer freedom. And so I try to take a step back and not only in my business, but even my personal life, how can I free up my time so I can focus on one activities that I really love to do and two activities that really move the ball forward in my business. And so everything from like geeking out about smart home technology that can automate routines. So when I'm going to bed, I can just say, Hey Alexa, good night. turns off all the lights, turns on my fan, reads off kind of the next day's calendar, like little things like that. But even, if you're at a position where grocery shopping or meal prepping really aren't the highest and best use of your time, maybe find someone who's great at that and where that would be a great job for them and you're gonna eat better, 
you're not going to have to spend hours doing that activity and you can focus on is that presenting to investors is that putting in offers on investment properties whatever that is just figure out what you're best at focusing on your strengths create that position for you and then what else is in your life and create positions for that and whether you're hiring a virtual assistant whether you're building a, a crm system that automates that process for you uh, or creating a system in your life where it's just easier to maintain that, I think that's really important to just being able to scale your business and control your time. That's extremely great advice. And was that something that you had to force your way into and, or dip your toe into a little bit? Because I feel like the more you start to do it and you start to see the result of, hey, that still got done pretty good and I didn't have to manage it, maybe I'll give this away or maybe I'll step back a little bit more. But it is a little of like, you don't want to let go at first. Um, was that something that you, it, it was a hard decision for you or did it come pretty easy to just say, I'm going to delegate this out? And I, I think Mark Evans was the one who first started pointing out to me, we were going back and, and I was saying, yeah, but nobody's going to do it as good as me. Nobody's going to do it as good as me. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, but the week that you just took trying to make it perfect, you could have gotten three or four of those things done at 80% and that's pretty damn good. And if you did nothing else, like you at least got that done. So definitely there's people that I'm seeing when I delegate things, they're not doing it the right way or it doesn't align with my vision. So great, get rid of those people. But there are people out there that are going to do pretty close to the same job you would. So, um, you know, just talk a little bit about the transition of it's very hard, especially contractors that go into our side and they just want to be the guys with the tool belt and the hammers or digging in the everyday. It's not how you build a business. Yeah. So it's difficult to let things go if you're, wanting it to be perfect. And I think as an entrepreneur, you just have to let the idea of perfection go, especially when hiring that 80%, like you mentioned of something is going to be better than you doing everything yourself. And it allows you to start scaling. Um, another thing to talk about is just hiring the right people, be quick to fire people if they're not getting the systems. Uh, but if you can create the position with technology today, it's pretty incredible. You can create one video, training someone how to do a job, another video, how to do the CRM processing. You can create all the videos and just say, Hey, watch these videos. Here's the process and then trust, but verify, check their work, make sure that they're actually doing what you want them to do and give them feedback, correct them on things. And if they're still not getting it after a month, two months, then let's find someone else hiring. And I think keeping great people is one of the most difficult aspects of being an entrepreneur and business owner, but it's one of the most important pieces. If you really want to scale and get to the point that you really want to be, none of us want to be solo entrepreneurs working 80 hours a week on a job where we could have had a, a nine to five working a W2 with benefits. And let's be honest, in my opinion, it's way easier to have a W2 job than own your own business. <laughs> There's days I could do all my work in an hour and still have eight hours just to, to chill. Uh, or with a business, it, it doesn't work that way. But what you are building is something that could be a legacy builder that your kid, your kids can take over and just building it to a point where you only have to work maybe 10 hours a week, just kind of maintaining, checking everyone's work, being there to answer questions. And I, by no means am there. I'm working towards that. And I think it definitely, definitely is a process and a mindset switch of, okay, yes, this is going to take some time. Yes. It might not be perfect. Like if I was to do it, but it's going to be better that way than if I just keep doing everything myself. 
I think that's an outstanding answer. I 1,000% agree. And, you know, to, to build on what you said, yeah, you know, there's days that you have tough days in this business, like I'm sure any entrepreneur does. And you go, you know what? It would be so much better if I just had a nine to five. And that might feel good initially. Me, one of the things that fires me up every morning is the hope that there's, there's no ceiling. So I can create things out there. Whereas I feel like if I ever accepted that nine to five, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm, I might make six figures a year, but this is it. This is as good as it gets, no matter how hard it work. And I feel like you, you die a little bit on the inside once you accept that versus, you know, yeah, you have crappy days, but there's also days like one of my first conversations this morning was about potentially doing an assignment deal that I could pull a half a million dollars in on. Wow. And it was like, if that was the only deal I focused on for this entire year, and that even worked out for half of what I thought it was going to be, that still beats me taking the subway every day back and forth to Manhattan to, you know, it just, and that gets exciting to me, you know, and, and those types of opportunities come up multiple times a year. So that, that's what excites me about it. And that, that's what really, when you're looking for a better life and freeing up more time, you look at, and, and I had a conversation with my partner after, and she was like, good for you. I was like, not for like, think of all the great things we can do with that and the people we can help with that. And we can take, you know, that opens up and that helps you help people. And you can, you can solve a lot of problems for other people with that. And that, that's what keeps me excited. It's, it's not even a selfish thing for me. It's, I feel an obligation to keep pushing that because raising the bar helps me bring all the other people I love with me as I start to rise. Yep. I love that. And two things just to add to that is, not only is the ceiling uncapped and you can help as many people as you want, but you're in control of your own life. It, with COVID, what happened here, so many people lost their jobs, even in pretty stable uh, positions. And you just don't have any control over that if you're a W-2 employee. And you also don't have any control of your time. A lot of people are limited to two, three weeks of, of time off where they have to submit it in advance where I love traveling. I, I love going out and just spending time when I want to. I may work until 10 p.m. a lot of nights, but when I want to, I, I can go just enjoy myself. I can go travel. And as a Debbie employee, you just don't have that freedom. So I, another, another sales pitch for being an entrepreneur and business owner. Same page, man. I, you know, there's, not, there's talking points that can go on for days on that. Now, um, branding. I know you're a big branding guy, and that, that's a new thing that I'm trying to do with, obviously, the A game and all that kind of stuff. And it's been very uncomfortable for me because it, you know, you put yourself out there and the more I'm starting to push myself out there and do some ads, like right before we got on, I was like, oh, somebody responded to one of my ads and I went and I looked at it and it was some guy like, you pooped on my timeline today, so I'm pooping on yours. And it was like a meme of a dog taking a crap. And I was like, well, that's great. Hope he's a fan. Like, you know, it, you know, but it, it's, it's part of what you have to do to put yourself out there. And I've been watching your social media and you do a great job of that. And I saw even on the one page bio that was sent over and it had like, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and like all the different things on there. So talk a little bit about what you're doing to brand yourself because it, it's, man, you're, you're popping up everywhere. Your name's popping up everywhere. All channels of social media, your face is popping up. Your, your feeds are popping up. So you're doing something right for sure. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. And I'll give a book shout out. Uh, it's called the one, 1 million followers. Um, I think it's Brendan Kane and he, basically writes a book on how he was able to build a massive following on Facebook. And then he talks about different other social media uh, platforms that you can utilize different strategies. And so I took a lot of those strategies and have been trying to utilize them in, in my social media and branding and uh, doing little things like changing your usernames to make sure that they're all the same and 
uh, can populate kind of just the same username across platforms is a change that I've made just upping my professional appearance with professional headshots and then just being super active and thoughtful with the posts. I think there's a, a fine line and balance and I don't think anyone does it quite perfect, but trying to put out content that's educational and promotes your business, but also things that promotes your personality and gets people to like you and trust you and you really seem like an actual human being. And that's difficult to do, uh, but, but definitely possible. I think I saw uh, a rule of thumb that was like 70% of your content should be kind of personal related, whether it's what you're doing, hobbies, interests, et cetera, and then 30% should be business focused. So if you're just looking for a good rule of thumb, um, but then just there's some really cool different marketing strategies that you can utilize with online marketing on Instagram, Facebook, with YouTube, Google AdWords to get yourself everywhere. Um, you can create your own video ads on YouTube that are targeted to a specific region. So if you're looking to buy houses somewhere, they're really not too expensive. And typically Google and YouTube ads are going to be a little higher quality than Facebook and Instagram because it takes more effort to search for that kind of content than just to have something pop up on your timeline, right? Um, so that, that's one strategy people could utilize to grow their business. But as far as building a personal brand, I think it's just... Think about what unique skills you have, your business, and then just being comfortable and vulnerable is sharing that with people. I love what you do with the podcast because it really does bring out your personal brand and who you are and your personality. It mixes everything from MMA to real estate and just mindset. And it's a great brand and it makes people like you a lot. And thanks, man. As a business owner and just individual, we don't need massive 50,000 email lists of people we don't know. We really just need 500 people, 250 people that like us, that trust us and are willing to do business with us on a repeat basis. And the Instagram, Facebook, social media today is like the digital business card. And you really have to think about it that way. If you can just put out value first, things that are actually educational, share some of your personality. If you're into skiing, if you're into cooking, whatever that is for you, just share some of that with people and don't be concerned with some of the feedback. Like I get messages all the time. Like we mentioned the F offs or fake contacts <laughs> that are ha ha at gmail. Like, all right, funny, funny. <laughs> just let it slide off and just think about those times that you've had a great connection with someone. Um, I think about my podcast, the fact that I get to have conversations with people like you, Bill Allen, real role models of mine on a consistent basis and are building relationships that are going to help me in the long term, as well as people messaging me saying, Hey dude, I saw your podcast. That's amazing. How are you doing this? And I just get to share that positivity. So just think about the positives of that. I think, again, we come back to that fear of rejection and just the fear of vulnerability and what are people going to say about you and just getting over it. People are going to say what they're going to say. You're always going to have haters and that's just part of life. It's about the people that love you. It's about the yeses in life. Exactly. And it, you know, you got to focus on if, if a hundred people tell you that your podcast sucks, but you get, you know, one thing from your mom that day, that's like, I really like that episode. I'm like, I'm going to choose to focus on the good positive thing. I don't care if it came from my mom, but yeah, you know, it's, it's right after that. Um, you know, I looked at something and there was like 60, 65 shares or, or something, something positive that I was like, why am I bothered by the guy? And then I looked at the guy up and there was like a thousand of him with his hairless cat. And that was like it on the whole side. I was like, all right, so I'm not really going to let this ruin my day. Yeah. But um, it, it has been weird because, you know, I'm, I'm putting extra time into the podcast because people are home. 
and I haven't been able to, I can't post jujitsu pictures and be out at restaurants and doing things because everybody's, everybody's grounded. So how are you implementing doing some things that show a little bit about your personality and some of your hobbies when we were on a basic lockdown for 90 days? So I think people have this rule that you can't post past events in your life. Like you have to take the picture this week or whatever. I use old content all the time. And so I'll use apps like Jarvie and Later, which are basically uh, social media scheduling tools where you can schedule out posts in a way that I don't like to post every day. A lot of times I try to, but I like to just create a bulk amount of content and then I'll schedule it out for the next month or something like that. And I'll use during COVID, I was using old pictures of t- trips that I went to uh, Southeast Asia and to, to Europe and times I was going to the gym and just connecting with people like, Hey, don't you miss being able to travel? Where are you going to travel to? Don't be scared to use old content throwbacks. And for me, I'm a little more high in conscientiousness. I'm pretty typical type A personality. So I like structure to my, my, uh, my timeline and my social media. So something that's helped me is I just took a piece of paper and I threw out a whole bunch of ideas. And then I started to see a pattern of, okay, so I have some, some real estate ideas here. So here's a category of real estate. Here's my podcast. Uh, I do business shout outs as well. So if there's a local business of someone that I like, they, they put out great content, I can, I can put that out. Here's just kind of personality. I love aviation, traveling, working out. I'm going to create a category of that and then create a schedule for yourself. Fridays are going to be your hobby day. Thursday is real estate. Wednesday is your podcast, whatever that content is. And then just be consistent and stick to that schedule. If you can't do five posts a week, start with one post, one post. You can do one post a week. I promise you. And just be consistent with posting. And once you get that down, do two posts and three posts. And that's something that's really helped me be a little more consistent and scheduled with all my content. That was great info. Awesome. That was yeah. really good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a lot away from that one. That's really interesting. I'm going to check out those maps, apps too, but that's really cool. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect that answer and it was a great answer. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Um, I, I know it's, I'm going a little bit long. I don't want to take up your whole day, but I would love to hear about what made you get into a uh, passion for us podcast is your podcast. Talk a little bit about it and, and how it started and what your vision for it was and how it's grown. So I'll be completely transparent. I was on the sideline as a individual who was just so afraid of what people were going to think of me, had analysis paralysis, had to be perfect. I've wanted to start a podcast since probably late 2016. I've loved podcasts. I mean, everything from Joe Rogan, political podcasts, self-development, real estate, like anything and everything, YouTube and podcasts, I'm all over it. And it was a passion of mine. And I saw a lot of investors had specific podcasts that were related to investing or another topic. And I, I really liked how Joe Rogan, the king of podcasting, his podcast is literally anything and everything. I'm not quite <laughs> so open and free spirit as him. So I, I started to tweak and slowly I came up with a name, Passion First Podcast, because I am so focused on helping people live a life that they put their passions first, not money, not what their parents tell them they should do, but just really, what do you want to do in life? Just do that because it's possible. I promise you in today's age with the technology that we have, you can go travel the world as a blogger. You can go try food around the world and just create a YouTube channel out of that. Like there's guys that literally all they do is 
create tutorials for smart home equipment. That's their job on YouTube. That's crazy. That's amazing. Uh, but just helping people find that passion, have a belief that they can follow that. And then it was just creating steps after that. We'll create a show overview. How are we going to schedule things? There's an awesome app called Calendly that you can create, schedule, link, and someone can click on that, select a time. They can put their information in and it'll populate to both of your calendars automatically. That makes it so easy. And it just, once you start taking action towards it, it starts to become a reality. So once I started saying, gosh, this starting a podcast, I don't even know where to start, but I started to break it down called chunking these, this big goal into smaller goals. So it became, okay, I need artwork, right? So I'm going to create the artwork Two, how am I going to record it? There's this, this cool thing called zoom. That's super popular. All of a sudden that's super easy to use <laughs> and it's great. Uh, and just creating the show overviews. And then I had the system. And so then I had a list of guests I wanted to have on and just reached out to them. And surprisingly, a whole bunch of them accepted and came on. And it was just this really cool process of finally doing something that I want to do for a long time, kind of creating my own style of it and watching it grow too. Like uh, I'm on probably episode 44, 45 of my podcast. So still a newer podcast for sure. But I look back at my first like probably 10 episodes and I'm already significantly better at what I do than I was at the beginning. And so just, it doesn't have to be perfect at the start. You're going to slowly get better with everything, but you just have to start. Now you're a natural man. You're, I would not have known that you had that amount of episodes. It's you, you talk like you've been doing it forever. You have a nice performance presidents you presidents you definitely dress better than most of the other <laughs> podcast hosts so you're doing awesome man i think that's great depends on the day sometimes it's just a, a t-shirt but wanted to, to treat you well coming on the show ah, so i appreciate i appreciate that, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I had a, a matt sarah shirt on which um you know again i don't want to go too off course but he if you ever want a guy on yeah matt sarah to talk about you know, I knocked out gsp uh he's one of the i think the greatest upset upset in sports betting was when Matt Sarah knocked out George St. Pierre. We thought it was going to happen. Obviously, other people didn't. But he is a diehard Star Wars guy. What? He loves <laughs> comics, loves comics, loves Star Wars, loves Marvel, all that stuff. So, I mean, he could talk that stuff for days with you. So as soon as I read that from you, I was like, man, Matt would, because he, he'll go, what do you think of The Force Awakens? And you'll have a whole <laughs> thing about that. But, um, yeah, that'd be cool. And it's always interesting watching the – because what I like about doing these is not only learning, like, about, hey, okay, you're into real estate, I'm into – but what are the things are you into? And, and that's the part that I always think is cool and fun. And, you know, on yours, we were talking about jiu-jitsu a little bit. So definitely uh, maybe reach out to him or look at him. He hosts the UFC Unfiltered podcast too. But um, I love that that's like a, a piece of you. And on your branding, I thought it was really awesome that you were like, here's some professional stuff. And then it was that. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. Like, it's a fun, cool thing to say. Oh, it's, he's a normal guy. He likes to have fun. He likes to watch Star Wars. And I think that that stuff's really cool. So, um, and the final thing before I let you go, because again, I appreciate you've been really, with your time um i like to call it the victory lap it's kind of our, our final questions as we as we pull in at the end of this race but first question what is the worst job you've ever had prior to becoming a real estate investor when i was in college uh, i paid for college myself i would work friday saturday and sunday nights as a night janitor for a local city so i'd clean their town hall the rec center so i when other kids were out partying, having a great time, I was, I was scrubbing toilets and vacuuming and uh, wiping things down. And, oh, I hated working nights. But uh, 
it was it was a good job it was well paying for the time i think i made like 13 dollars an hour which at the time minimum wage was like 775 or something like that and uh yeah that was one of my least favorite jobs fair enough second question knowing what you know now and you're still a pretty young guy but if a young you just starting out came up to you and asked you for advice what is would you give a younger you today knowing what you know now i think i would start with goals as far as actually start writing down your goals actually start creating habits and routines that are really going to move the ball forward that's tough to tell like a, a 19 21 year old kid uh, but really try to instill in their head that they can do their goals, but they really have to take the steps, create the environment and the habits to, to do that. Um, and just not, don't be afraid of failure. And for me, just total side note, not necessarily career, but go travel. I didn't really start traveling until a couple years uh, ago. And so I've been traveling consistently for about four years and absolutely love it. I think it just educates you in a way no nothing else can and uh it's just an incredible experience what is your favorite place you've ever been barcelona spain they have the uh, sagrada familia there which is a cathedral that's taken over 125 years uh still not constructed completely but they're about about finished uh the architect gaudi just has a very unique style and that building is just heavenly out of this world so beautiful the culture there is amazing the tapas are phenomenal the nightlife's great beautiful place awesome i that's on my bucket list for sure i did uh italy last year but spain's definitely on there nice um, so last well. uh, thing obviously how do uh, how do people find you how do people work with you give people some uh some places to connect with you and ways that they can kind of find you and work with you for for real estate stuff Absolutely. So the website is thehartleyteamrealty.com. You can find the podcast, social media, my online courses there as well. Uh, on social media, it's Austin James Hartley. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. And uh, greatly appreciate you having me on the show, Nick. It's always a, always a lot of fun talking to you. And anyone, if they have any questions regarding real estate, podcasting, if they're in the Denver market and just want to connect, feel free to, to reach out to me. My email's on the website at austin at thehartleyteamrealty.com. Awesome. And Passion for us podcast, you can find everywhere you get your podcast. And obviously, I will post all the show notes. So if somebody's listening to this, um, jump on uh, the link side and all the, the stuff will be on there. So they can just click away and find you and all your stuff. Uh, any final thoughts for anybody listening right now as we let you go? Thank you so much for having me on. If you've enjoyed Nick's podcast, you should drop him a five-star review. <laughs> uh, subscribe to the show. Uh, if you're feeling super generous, drop one for me as well. But hey, you're just an individual that lives with passion, joy. It's contagious. And I appreciate that about you. And uh, just love what you do, man. So thank you for having me on. Hope you have a wonderful day. And we'll, we'll talk soon. Likewise. And thanks very much. Have a great week. Austin Hartley, ladies and gentlemen. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught 
tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text drummer to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson.